You're listening to a sermon preached at Sojourn Church Midtown. The great theologian Augustine of Hippo once said that in the Old Testament, the new is concealed. In the new, the old is revealed. When we think of the messianic prophecies from this perspective, we see that the Old Testament whispers to us about the coming of the Messiah. Join us during our Advent sermon series titled Rumors of the Messiah, where we confirm the whispered prophecies of the Old Testament that told of the birth, suffering, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Peace be with you. Today's scripture reading is Hosea 6, 1 through 2, and 1 Corinthians Corinthians 15, 1 through 8. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along on the screen behind me. Hear the word of the Lord, Hosea 6, 1 through 2. Come, let's return to the Lord, for he has torn us, and he will heal us. He has wounded us, and he will bind up our wounds. He will revive us after two days, and on the third day he will raise us up so we can live in his presence. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 8. Now I want to make clear for you, brothers and sisters, the gospel I preached to you, which you received, on which you have taken your stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold to the message I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I passed on to you as most important what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to over 500 brothers and sisters at one time. Most of them are still alive, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one born at the wrong time, he also appeared to me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we are thankful this morning that you, because of your saving action in Christ, that you have broken into this present evil age. You have broken into our sorrow. And you've given us resurrection life through King Jesus. As Jesus Christ came willingly and died on the cross and absorbed your wrath reserved against our sins. And he, by your sovereign power, he was raised from the dead and he reigns right now at your right hand, seated in the heavenlies, in bodily form. And Father, we thank you that we too who are in Christ have been risen from the dead, that your spirit, through the preaching of the gospel, awakened our hearts and gave us resurrection life. And by that life, you seat us in the heavenly places in Christ. As we continue to live in this broken world where evil continues to triumph. And Father, we feel that brokenness today. 
we feel it as we grieve for those who are suffering because they've lost life, those who have lost material things through these tornadoes that ripped through our state. We feel that brokenness as we reflect upon those who have died in this pandemic or because of other tragedies that have happened. And we feel that brokenness, Father, in this present evil age as we wrestle with sin in our own lives and, and the burden that sin brings. And yet, Lord, we have hope today that we too have life in Christ as Jesus is alive. So we pray that by your spirit, through this word, that you would give hope to your people. And we pray, Father, that you would protect me from the devil and protect me from making Jesus look silly as I preach your word to your people. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God promises in his word to resurrect and to redeem his people. Our two texts this morning, Hosea chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, and 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 8, remind us of God's promise to resurrect and to restore his people through the most important event in human history, namely, through the incarnation of Jesus Christ, his perfect life on earth, his wrath-bearing death on the cross, and his victorious resurrection from the dead. As you remember from our sermon series in Genesis, Genesis chapters 1 and 2 tells us that God created a beautiful world, a complete world, and as some would say, a perfect world. But Genesis chapter 3 tells us that sin entered that world, and consequently, God cursed the entire creation. But in Genesis chapter 3, 15, God promises hope. He promises to crush the seed of the serpent by means of the seed of the woman. And God's plan to work out this work of redemption in the Genesis narrative does it by means of, through Adam and Eve, their offspring, through Abraham and his offspring, and through David and his offspring, as the story unfolds. And between Abraham and David, God graciously enters into a covenant with his people by giving them a law by which to follow in order to distinguish them from the other nations as his people. The Lord is abundantly clear in that law in texts like Leviticus 18, verse 5, that if Israel disobeys the law, they would not live long in the land. 
But he also promises if they obey the law, they would have life. As you know, the Old Testament story tells us the life of Israel, the story of Israel is complex, isn't it? It's like our stories, right? We're complex. There's joy and there's pain. There's sorrow and there's rejoicing. And unfortunately, throughout the life of Israel, what we see in the Old Testament story is often their story is marked by disobedience to the Lord instead of obedience to the point that the Lord himself promises that he would do and in fact must do what Israel cannot do, what no one can ultimately do, which is obey him to the degree that he demands. All have sinned, right? And fallen short of the glory of God. There's none good, no, not one, Romans 3. We all have turned aside. We all are like open tombs. When you rip open our spiritual hearts, you see this, you smell the stench that is inside of all of us. So the Lord promises us that he must do for his people and in his people what they cannot do. Namely, he will circumcise their hearts, Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 6, so that they will obey him. He will write his law on the hearts of his people so that they will obey him, Jeremiah 31, 31 and following. And he will spiritually resurrect the hearts of his people from the dead and put his resurrecting spirit in their hearts so that they would live. God promises that he would do these things by means of the new Adam, the perfect Adam, the new seed of David, the perfect seed of David, the the new and perfect seed of Abraham, the perfect Israel, the perfect suffering servant, namely the Lord Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, my point this morning, I hope it's a point of encouragement for you, is God accomplishes the resurrection of his people who are oppressed by the power of sin by means of the death and bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And my two texts, Hosea 6 verses 1 and 2, and I'll spend most of my time there, but I want to connect the redemptive dots for you by looking briefly at 1 Corinthians 15 verses 1 through 8 toward the end of the sermon. The prophet Hosea teaches us, here's some context, The prophet Hosea teaches us that Israel is in sin. Hosea depicts her as a spiritual prostitute who has been unfaithful to the Lord, her husband. Hosea chapter 1 verse 2. By the time of Hosea's prophecy to Israel, David's single monarchy has been divided between the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom because of Solomon's sin. It was David's son and successor to his throne. According to some interpreters, Hosea's prophetic ministry lasted over two decades, 
And Hosea himself tells us in chapter 1, verse 1, that his word from the Lord came to him during the reigns of four kings over Judah and during the reign of one king over Israel. Most of these kings did evil in the sight of the Lord. In fact, the reason there are multiple kings in this divided kingdom is because the monarchy was corrupted by sin. And as the Mosaic Covenant promises, if some within the community disobey the law, the whole nation suffers judgment as a result. Consequently, Israel's sin against God and his law is why both the Assyrians in 722 B.C., took the northern part of the kingdom into exile. And the Babylonians in 586 B.C. sacked the southern part of the empire and took them into exile as they destroyed the first temple, a symbol of the Lord's judgment against his people in the southern part of the kingdom. Thus, as Hosea delivers this prophecy to Israel, both the northern and southern parts of the kingdom are in sin. And Hosea warns them that they are about to suffer the Lord's wrath as a result. However, in 6.1 of Hosea, the prophet urges Israel to repent. And he says, listen to 6.1 again. He says, come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us that he may heal us. He has struck us down, and he will bind us up. Brothers and sisters, here's an important word this morning. The Lord will never honor our sin. He will always honor judge our sin. Our sin will lead to our destruction unless we repent. And even when we repent, sin leaves devastating consequences, doesn't it? Thankfully, in chapter 6, verse 2, Hosea offers hope to the Lord's people. And that's the rest of this sermon, it's hope. We know that neither Israel nor we obey the Lord to the degree that he demands. We are all sinners. I want you to understand that today. We are all sinners. We were conceived in sin, and we commit sin because we are sinners. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Consequently, the Lord himself must work for us, and he must work in us to accomplish his redemption for his people, so that we, his people, would do what he commands, and so that we would receive eternal life. He does not leave us to ourselves to resurrect ourselves, but the Lord himself works on our behalf and gives us resurrection, life. That's what verse 2 says. Did you catch it? In chapter 6, verse 2, the prophet says, after two days, 
He, that is the Lord, will revive us. That's resurrection language. On the third day, he will raise us up that we may live before him. Isn't that encouraging? The Lord himself, the prophet says, as he's proclaiming judgment, the Lord himself will resurrect us. He will revive us. Oh, he'll judge us because of our sin if we don't repent, but then he'll work in us and for us to give us resurrection life. He won't leave us in our sin. Brothers and sisters, I'm 43 years old, and I'm going to die soon. We all are. And the older you get, the closer you get to death. And I've learned some things in my 25 years of walking with Jesus, is that sin is a battle every day of our lives. And the older you get, sometimes you feel the weight of that battle even more. But the word of the Lord promises us, promises us that the Lord himself will work for his people and in his people to help us conquer the power of sin. He will resurrect his people. I want you to hear that this morning as you feel the weight and the discouragement that comes with Christmas. The Lord himself promises he has worked to resurrect his people. He will work to resurrect his people because of what he's done for us in Jesus Christ. Not, not a prophet, not a pastor, not an author, not a celebrity, not a job, not a career, not your pet sin, but the Lord himself will work and has worked on your behalf. I know I have one witness at the 11 a.m. service this morning. I had a lot of witnesses at the 9, but at the 11, you're kind of quiet. <laughs> the Lord will work Ezekiel 36 and 37 in our hearts. He will breathe life into our dry bones. He will restore the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom and indeed the entire world as he sprinkles us with clean water and puts resurrection life in us, puts his spirit within us. The Lord will, hear this, he will, he will break down ethnic boundaries. He will break down racial boundaries. He will break down economic boundaries. He will put an end eventually to natural disasters. He will put an end to death. He will put an end to hospice. He will put an end to suffering and sickness and hopelessness. And he's already begun to put an end to those things right now in the victorious resurrection of Jesus from the dead. As the Spirit of God is living in your life and working in your life, enabling you to taste that future resurrection to come at the end of history right now in this broken world as you suffer. This is, in fact, what the Lord promises that he would do. 
And this is, in fact, what Hosea himself says the Lord will do. We didn't read verse 3 in Hosea 6, verses 1 and 2, but I want to read verse 3 because it's important to the point that I'm making. And it is, in fact, part of the larger context of Hosea. Notice what Hosea says in verse 3. He says, let us know, 6-3, let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. Why? (laughs) Now remember, in the context of Hosea, things are bad. Judgment is coming. Suffering is real. But the word of the prophet is to the people of God, press on to know the Lord. And here's the reason. His going out is sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers. Do you hear that? The Lord will come to his people. As the spring rains that water the earth. Brothers and sisters, Hosea promises that our Lord will give us, his people, resurrection life. And the New Testament says our Lord has done this through Jesus Christ. Therefore, if you are weary today because of sin or suffering, there is hope in the resurrection power of King Jesus. If you are tempted to let go of Jesus Christ because you're doubting that power, because of the suffering and sin that you see all around you, the prophet reminds us to press on to know the Lord. And that is what Christmas is about, isn't it? It's about this redemption that God has promised to give to his people. It's about this redemption that God has, in fact, given to his people through Jesus Christ. That in the midst of gloom and brokenness and darkness and evil, God has broken into this world and he has risen or raised dead people from the dead because he raised his son from the dead. So press on to know the Lord. His promises to save you are as certain as the rising and setting of the sun. You can, brothers and sisters, be absolutely certain that God has fulfilled the promises of Hosea 6-2 and King Jesus. You can be certain that because Jesus is risen from the dead, that you have been risen from the dead in Christ and that you will rise from the dead physically when Jesus returns from heaven to earth. Here, for example, 1 Corinthians 15 Verses 1 through 8, where Paul, I think, echoes some of the things I've just said. Now, remember, as we read this text, that Paul is writing to a group of Christians who question whether there will be a future resurrection. And Paul's entire argument is basically this. If there is no future resurrection of the dead, that's only because Jesus Christ himself did not resurrect from the dead. But here's how his argument goes. Because Jesus has risen from the dead, you can be confident, certain, that there would be a future resurrection of the dead, of those who have died in Christ. 
And let me just add that that future resurrection of the dead has already broken into this world right now by the indwelling presence and power of the Spirit, which every Christian has ruling and reigning in his or her heart. Hear the word of God from 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 8. Now I'll remind you, brothers and sisters, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. And by the way, those scriptures were the Old Testament scriptures. Could have been referring to texts like Isaiah 53, Psalm 22. That he was buried that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, then to the 12. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. Saints, are you feeling spiritually dead today? Are you feeling spiritually sick? Are you feeling weary and troubled? If so, there's good news. Jesus Christ was born into this world. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross for your sins, and God raised him from the dead, and he reigns over sin, over death over the principalities and powers of the air, over all things in the heavens and on the earth. And if you are in Christ today, you too are seated with Jesus in the heavenly places, reigning with him over all things, even as you live on earth, while evil continues to triumph. The word of the Lord is, I think, from these two passages, God has promised resurrection, and he has fulfilled resurrection for his people through King Jesus. Think about this for a moment. The same power, you still with me? The same power that God displayed when he raised Jesus from the dead is the same power ruling and reigning in your heart by the indwelling presence and power of the Spirit. That power that God will display at the end of history, when he returns, when Jesus returns to resurrect the dead, that power has broken in right now within history by the indwelling presence and power of the Spirit. Think of it this way. The Spirit who lives in your life and who transforms your life is a signpost an emblem of the future resurrection that is to come and of the accomplishment of salvation that God has already purchased for us in the cross and resurrection of Jesus. Do you understand that? But listen to this. You can tap into that resurrection power right now in your daily lives as you're walking with Jesus, talking with Jesus. I'll give you another passage. Here, for example, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 16, 
to chapter 2, verse 10. This is a long text, but I'm convinced that we need more Bible in our culture, not less Bible in our culture. So this is a long passage, but, but I promise you it's not going to hurt you. Just listen to it. Ephesians 1, 16 to 2, 10. Listen to these promises that you have in Jesus right now as you anticipate that future resurrection that we all should be longing for in our bones. Paul says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who feels all in all. Now he's, he's going to talk about their depravity to emphasize the resurrection of Jesus in their lives. He says, notice the text, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Now here comes a very explosive statement. God raised Jesus from the dead, the previous verses says. Guess what? That's not good news if you're dead in your trespasses and sins unless you repent, right? But guess what? You can't repent unless God works in your life. You can't meet the demands that God places upon you unless God intervenes and resurrects you from the dead. And that's what Paul says, in fact, God has done. So he says, two of the most explosive words in Scripture, but God. Being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in him. Brothers and sisters, that will preach. And encourage in moments of despair, 
and strengthen and edify and move in your life so that you would strengthen your grip on the gospel. Those things are yours in Christ. The promise of Hosea 6, 1 and 2, is realized in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 to 8. And what God has done for us in Jesus. So I have two brief applications. One for Christians and then one for unbelievers. First, brothers and sisters, ask God to fill you with the deeper understanding of this resurrection power that lives in you by the power of the Spirit. Because God raised Jesus from the dead. Ask God to fill you with the Spirit who already lives in you. And you say, well, why should I do that? Because the Bible tells you to. You should ask God to do what he said he has done and promises to do. You ask God to work in you what he's already worked in you. Isn't that what Ephesians 1, 16 to 2, 10 just said? Tap into this power by regularly reading God's word sitting at Jesus' feet, talking with him, listening to him, getting involved in the life of the church and, and putting in the necessary spiritual work to conquer the power of sin in your life. And with wisdom and grace and compassion, help others to tap into that resurrection power and to conquer sin and the power of the spirit. Now, let me clarify something. I'm not saying the resurrection of Jesus is like a magic pill that just all of a sudden makes our lives perfect and happy. Life is hard. Sin is complex, is it not? There are a lot of people who love Jesus who struggle with sin. We all struggle with sin, different kinds of sin. There are a lot of people who love Jesus who struggle with all kinds of suffering in this world. My point is not that. If you just tap into the resurrection of Jesus and realize the power of this in your life by the power of the Spirit, that all of a sudden, magically, everything's going to be perfect. That's not what I'm arguing. What I'm arguing is, is that in the midst of that brokenness, the Holy Spirit has already broken in to give you resurrection power. So that if you tap into that power by the power of the Spirit, through the means of grace I just mentioned, the Spirit will enable you to taste and see victory right now in this present evil age as you anticipate the victory that's yet to come at the end of history. And you don't have to wait until the end of history to experience that resurrection power now. That's my point. Does that make sense? So if I can just throw out a theological term, this is not an over-realized eschatology. This is an already not yet eschatology. What God has promised to do perfectly at the end of history, he's already begun to do it in part right now within history by the power of the Spirit. And I'm saying to you, brothers and sisters, that promise is yours in Christ. Second, I'm going to calm down now, okay? <laughs> Trying to take on a new lead in life and be more relaxed, so I'm going to... I'm going to calm down. If you're not a believer, the invitation is for you to give your life to Jesus today. 
And if you turn from your sin and believe by faith that God offered Jesus Christ to die for your sin and that God raised him from the dead for your sin so that you could be justified by faith, you can experience this resurrection power right now and begin to walk in the power of the Spirit, begin to to live and walk in the hope of the resurrection. Closing, brothers and sisters, we were dead in trespasses and sins with no resurrection life. But in Christ Jesus, God has made us alive together with Christ. Therefore, let us press on with God's help and with the help of the people of God in following Jesus until the end of our lives. Because in Jesus Christ, God has promised and God has fulfilled the resurrection of his people. And that is Christmas. Let's pray. Hi, I'm Jamal Williams, lead pastor of Sojourn Midtown. Thanks for listening. At Midtown, we value gospel-centeredness, biblical faithfulness, transformative relationships, diverse fellowship, creativity in the arts, and relentless mission. For more sermons, info about our church, visit sojournchurch.com slash midtown.